0: We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 6 Republic of the Philippines versus Pimentel et al. Mr.
1: Rothfeldt. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case concerns a dispute over the ownership of property, the aralma assets, that the Republic of the Philippines believes were stolen by Ferdinand Marcos while he served as the Republic's President. The ownership of this property should be settled by the courts of the Republic. The aralma assets were stolen in the philippines from the philippine people by their former president the current dispute is between the republic and certain of its citizens there is
2: a, I, I just uh, didn't hear you said that this that this dispute should be settled by uh,
1: by the courts of the republic uh, the question of ownership of these assets we believe is a matter uh, as a uh, certainly as the first impression should be decided in the republic as i said that assets here were stolen in the republic from the public citizens by their president, there is currently a proceeding pending before the Sandiganbayan, the special Philippine anti-corruption court that has jurisdiction over matters of this sort, dealing specifically with the assets that are at issue here.
3: Is that been pending? How long?
1: Uh, it has been pending. Well, the Republic initially filed a forfeiture petition in 1991, directed at a, a range of assets related to former President Marcos. Uh, ultimately after the assets were transferred from Switzerland uh, to be held in escrow in the Philippines, uh, the Philippine Supreme Court in 2003 issued a judgment relating to, to those assets because there was some doubt as to whether that judgment, some question about whether that judgment specifically addressed the Aurelma assets that are at issue here. The Republic filed a, a motion before the Sandigan buying in in 2004 directed specifically at this, the, the assets. The, the motion has been pending. So it's
3: from time. 2004 to 2008?
1: It it has been, Your Honor. The Republic, that that delay cannot be attributed to the Republic. The Republic has filed five motions with the Seneca Bayan, urging it to expedite expedite its decision. I I can tell you that it has a, is a court with with a very substantial docket. The division of the Seneca Bayan that is considering this, uh, these assets considered, among many other cases, the corruption trial of former President Joseph Estrada. So, uh, I I don't think that the delay can, at this point, be deemed Well,
2: it, it gets way ahead of the analysis and probably way ahead of your argument. At some point, I'd like you to address whether or not uh, one of the equities the Court can consider is the likelihood of an earlier decision. Let's assume we project out to be another 10 years, does that make a difference? That, that may come toward the end of your argument rather than now, but I'd, I'd like address it addressed at some point.
1: Well, I, I, I certainly will, Your Honor. I think it would make sense logically to consider the issues that, that we think that, there are really are two related sets of considerations that should go into the Court's decision as to whether this suit should be dismissed, which is our submission. Uh, one relates to the Republic's sovereign immunity. The second relates to kind of a broader set of Rule 19 considerations, and I think that your question goes to those. So I'll turn first to the sovereign immunity question. Uh, the Republic asserts ownership of these assets. Um, its, its submission is that President Marcos misappropriated them while he served as President of the Republic. If that is true, then under Philippine law, these assets at all times were the property of the Republic.
3: Mr. Uh, Rothbill, would you explain then how it was that the Philippine government uh, supported the litigation against Marcos that led to the, what was it, $2 billion judgment? That's right said that it had no objection to that suit. In fact, he thought it was a good thing for the Philippine that that litigation go forward. But if the government's position is, the judgment would be uncollectible because all of those assets belong to, to the Philippine government and not to Marcos' estate. So the, that whole litigation would have been an exercise in futility.
1: Well, I I think not, Justice Ginsburg. I I think that there is, in fact, no inconsistency at all. The Republic's position at that time was that it had no objection to uh, plaintiffs who were victims of the Marcos regime bringing suit in the United States, Uh, and they had no. The Republic had no objection to the to the suit proceeding uh, in this country. Specifically, the issue that, that was before the court that the Republic weighed in on was whether the act of State doctrine would preclude adjudication in the United States. And the Republic's interest was in making clear that the acts of Marcos were not the acts of the Republic. They were not official acts that the Republic was prepared to defend. The Republic did not then and does not now have any objection to citizens of the Republic proceeding in the courts of the United States against the estate of Marcos. The... The question here is whether or not these assets are in the estate of Marcos. The, the Republic's submission is that these assets belong to the Republic, that they have never been part of the Marcos estate, and that therefore, where these are sort of ships passing in the night, that there, there can be proceedings against the estate in this country or elsewhere.
4: Is there anything else in the estate?
1: Um, there is litigation going on in the Philippines now, before the Sandiganbayan Bayon, as to what mm-hmm. is in the estate. And I think that one of the problems, of course, is that Uh, As is true of many corrupt regimes that have misappropriated State assets, unraveling it is is enormously complicated. There were were dummy corporations, there were shell corporations, uh, which is one of the reasons that it has taken so long.
5: Um, Well, let let me ask a slightly different question from Justice Scalia's. Is 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 it the position of the Philippine Government that there are any assets in the estate that the Philippine Government does not claim?
1: I think that there, there are some assets. I can't I, — I will not say that there are a very substantial number of assets. Now, I, I, I should say and, and Enough is,
5: assets to satisfy the, the claims of the individuals uh, uh, who, uh, who brought suit in the United States?
1: No, there, there are not, and there may never have been. Um, so the,
5: the position of the Philippines, going back to Justice Ginsburg's question, was uh, we have no objection, and in fact, I think it was we support the litigation in the United States, but when it tom- comes time to collect a judgment — we're claiming they don't get a penny because everything belongs to us. Is that a fair summary of the Philippines' position?
1: I, th- I think that is not an entirely fair summary, Your Honor. I, I-, I think, and again, let me say that there, there are two separate questions. One is whether or not, sort of as, as a matter of principle, the Philippines objected to the, its citizens proceeding in the courts of the United States to condemn the regime of former President Marcos. Well, they, they
5: weren't just suing to condemn the regime. They weren't asking for a declaratory judgment. They were asking for a, a judgment in money.
1: That, 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 that is true, Your Honor. But, but the submission, and the question is whether there's some inconsistency between what the Republic said then and what it says now, the, the submission then was not that the Claimants were entitled to recover assets that belonged to the republic. The, the submission was that whatever ended up in the market. Oh, but estate, we live in a
5: practical world, and if in fact there were no apparent assets that might satisfy that judgment, that the Philippine government did not claim, then their then their support of the uh, of the earlier litigation was. Uh, at very least in tension with their, with their uh,
1: overall position. Well, I, I think that that, again, I, I would respectfully disagree with that. I think that there was real meaning to the judgment that was returned here, even if there is a dispute as to whether there are assets in the Marcos estate. It, there were two settlements worked out uh, between the Marcos estate and the claimants with the blessing of the Republic that would have paid a very substantial amount out of assets recovered from the Marcos uh, th- that were associated with Marcos, recovered by the Republic, and the Republic sort of blessed payment of those to the claimants here. Ultimately, that was vetoed by the Seneca and Mayan as inconsistent with Philippine law. But I, I think that the. the and why doesn't the
5: Republic take the position that because that was vetoed for, for reasons? apart from the Republic's discretion, that the current assets would be an appropriate source of, of uh, payment?
1: Well, there have been a number of efforts in the Philippine Congress, and there are now pending bills in the Philippine Congress, to compensate uh, the claimants in amounts equivalent to those settlements. So, I I think that that is something that could happen. But I think it's important to step back and say, what what is the issue before this court here? And I think all of these considerations are simply divorced from the Rule 19 issues.
3: There's one other point of Philippine law that's uh, unclear from the briefs. Um, The respondents say they had no right to intervene in the proceeding that's going on before the Corruption Court. And your brief suggests that there is a right to intervene. What is it? Can they become part of that litigation, or will they not be heard by the Corruption Court?
1: Well, we, we quoted the relevant portions of Philippine law, which, which is sort of equivalent to our permissive intervention, which would have permitted the claimants to seek to intervene in the proceeding of the same thing, by — Seek
3: to intervene, but no right to intervene.
1: It, it is not a matter of right. It, it, it is permissive intervention. Um, I, I think it's important to, to bear in mind the status of the claimants, though, because at, their rights are entirely derivative of the Marcos estate. Um, they don't claim the Arama assets, which are the subject of this dispute here before this Court. If the Marcos estate is held to have no right to those assets, they have no right at all, and they have no right to be protected here. So I, I think it's, it's a, it is important to, re, to, re, to retreat to the questions that are actually before this Court now about the meaning of Rule 19 and its application in a situation in which there is an absent sovereign that has asserted sovereign immunity.
2: And could, you, could you address that? That is the issue. Uh, the sovereign immunity. Is, is this a question where a party is just entitled to plead inconsistent theories? Uh, was this a special appearance? Uh, why is it that the, the Philippines uh, can come into court and say, uh, we have sovereign immunity and therefore the suit must be dismissed. Would you just address that basic point?
1: Well, I, I think that that's sovereign immunity and dismissal under Rule nineteen are two different but closely related and essential aspects of the relief for the Republic. As a matter of its sovereign immunity, all agreed at this point that it cannot be forced to appear in this proceeding. But that relief is is of little good to the Republic if the assets are then going to be awarded by a U.S. court to someone else and they dissipated and they are gone forever. Uh, and so it's necessary to protect its interest, its sovereign immunity, give, make it to effectuate it, that the action be dismissed under Rule 19. And I think that it, it is something which is, this Court has recognized that when there is a sovereign that cannot be brought for, into, the, into the litigation, the sovereign's interests are going to be substantially undermined, the sovereign. Is an indispensable party, and dismissal is 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 essentially automatic. That's what should have happened here. That's what that's the first mistake that the district court made. Right. Why,
0: can, why, couldn't the uh, Philippines, uh, not having been a party in this action, uh, pursue whoever did get the uh, the assets uh, from this action? It's well, I, I litigation if they they objected to the resolution.
1: Well, let me amend your, your question. In one respect, they were, they were a party, and, and of course, as in their in their capacity as a party, they sought dismissal under Rule 19 as well as dismissal of themselves on sovereign immunity grounds. But to answer specifically,
0: I guess if they weren't there for the adjudication on the merits,
1: uh, they were not there for the, ju- the adjudication on the merits. That's right, um, because they had asserted their sovereign immunity. I, I think that there, everyone agrees. The Ninth Circuit itself acknowledged that once the assets here are dispersed. To respondent and to the plaintiff class. As a practical matter, they will be re- beyond recapture. There is a class of almost 10,000 people. Uh, and when the assets are gone, to reclaim them, even if the Seneca and Bayan rules next week that Aroma is now and always has been the property of the Republic, it will be, as a practical matter, impossible to get them back. One suggestion which is made by respondent and by some of its meeky is that because the Republic is not bound here, it could bring an action against the former stakeholder of these assets, Merrill Lynch. Uh, that, I think, is also clearly an inadequate remedy for the Republic. There is no guarantee that it would be able to proceed in such a proceeding, sort of unencumbered by the judgment here. Uh, And if what we're looking for under Rule 19, again, there are sort of two two components to this. There is the sovereign immunity component, which we think is essentially a per se rule requiring dismissal in circumstances here. If we get beyond that and we say, under Rule 19, what what are the interests that we want to advance? principal interest of Rule 19 is that everything gets accommodated in a single proceeding, that the dispute gets resolved by the holes, as the Court has described it. And the only way to accomplish that is dismissal of this suit. If, if this action is dismissed, the Court's judgment that the Republic is an indispensable party in, in, in litigation relating to Arelma will be binding on all the participants to this litigation. That will mean that if anybody sues the former stakeholder Merrill Lynch in the future, that action will be dismissed unless you, and until the Republic would,
6: chooses Would you agree that the Republic is ultimately not going to be able to collect these funds unless it sues in the United States and waives its immunity in that suit? And is that, is that relevant to the question of whether it should have been forced to proceed in this action?
1: Well, I, I don't think it's directly relevant, but I think that if one looks at the at the bigger picture, it, it, yeah, it is true. If If the Republic... If this action is dismissed, Sandigan Bayan rules, and let's say that it rules for the Republic. The Republic becomes the owner of Aralma. It is then in a position to go to Merrill Lynch and say, This is our account, give it to us. If Merrill Lynch declines to do that, it is true the Republic will have to seek judicial action in the United States. But at that point, it will be seeking to enforce a judgment of the Sandigan Bayan. It's the proceeding there will be an enforcement action. Uh, and... Having, and being armed with that judgment and having the Philippine courts, which should be the ones that, that resolve this as a, as a matter of first instance, it will be an entirely different kind of proceeding. And in that proceeding, unlike this one, as I said, the other side says, well, you know, not to worry here because you could sue Merrill Lynch. That's inconsistent with the purpose of Rule 19, which is to say
0: Well, is it, very, is it fair to the, the private claimants here in the United States to say, wait until the Philippine court renders a judgment in favor of the Philippines, and then they can come and enforce the judgment against Merrill Lynch or whoever is holding the assets?
1: Well, I I think if the Sandigan mine rules for the Republic, the assets are the Republic's assets. The the Republic can
0: Well, under the determination of the Philippine Court, but the Court here could determine that they're the private claimant's assets, as it did.
1: well, it did without the participation of the Philippines.
0: Well, you just told me that the Philippines court may judge the opposite without the participation of the private
1: claimants. Well, but, the, but again, Your Honor, it's important to remember the private claimants here have no claim to the of assets. Their interest is entirely derivative of the Marcos estate. The estate. Is well, that seems
0: to me to be an argument on the merits rather than uh, with respect to which case should proceed first.
1: Well, it, it goes, I think, to the question of whether their claim is one which is entitled to be heard in the United States. The question is. When the, when the Sandigan-Bayan decides this, this case, as between the, the two claimants that actually claim ownership of a realm, as opposed to derivative rights as to one or the other of the, of the claimants, I, that, that is the way in which it makes sense to proceed. Have the Sandigan-Bayan decide as between these two claimants, the Republic and the estate. Once that's done, sort of all else follows from that.
0: Would the private claimants be able to — undermine the added force of the judgment in the Philippines, assuming a proceeding is brought here, on the ground that they were not allowed to participate in the proceeding in the Philippines?
1: Well, I think — I would say probably not, Your Honor, because, again, their, their interests are entirely derivative of the Marcos estate, and so I think they, they may be thought to, have, to be in privity with the estate. Uh, and therefore, they would not have a sort of separate right to challenge that. But I think it, it, we should not anticipate what the future litigation will, will look like in the United States. In privy
3: with the you estate, just suggesting that, that the plaintiffs would be connected to the Marcos family that wants to get these out. No,
1: I, I, I do not suggest any connection between them. I, my only suggestion is that because their interest is entirely derivative of the estate, the estate has an interest in 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 defending its interest there, and therefore, somebody is there litigating. The question. How much of an interest
4: not, does the estate have? Uh, I mean, if it is all going to be uh, uh, claimed by uh, by these private plaintiffs?
1: Well, this, the estate the has has a. As I say, these assets are, have been moved around and hidden. And I think the state the state may well have an interest in in keeping them intact and saying that it does have an interest. But if I may reserve the remainder of my time here.
0: Thank you, Mr. Rothfeld. <coughs> Mr. Niegler.
7: Mr. Chief Justice, and may I please the Court. When a sovereign government cannot be made a party to a case because of its immunity from suit, that fact must be given great weight in determining whether the suit nonetheless may proceed. That is true whether the absent sovereign is the United States, one of the 50 states, an Indian tribe, or, as here, a foreign state.
3: When you say great weight, Mr. Niegler, then you are not agreeing with Mr. Rothfeld, who says it. Automatic. We we believe it would be dispositive in
7: most cases. We think only if the sovereign's interests would be adequately protected by the judgment, or in the rare case that we've identified in our brief where the sovereign's interests are adequately protected by another sovereign, in the case of an Indian tribe being protected by the United States. Uh, But but other than that, or where the United States is in a case against a State, uh, the United States being the national sovereign, there could be special circumstances, but we think as a whole uh the the, as a general rule sovereign immunity controls and that's because sovereign immunity represents a fundamental policy judgment either rooted in the constitution for the united states or the states or judgments of the legislative branches that the sovereign should not be required to appear in court a contrary rule allowing the suit to proceed would effectively undermine that rule of immunity and allow the sovereign's interest to be tried behind its well, back. So suppose
2: uh, a case, uh, and you have to do a lot of supposing, uh, suppose that uh, the Philippine government was simply uh, not amenable to the process of the court, uh, not because of foreign immunity, because, j- just because it was outside uh, the, the geographic area where process ran, It just can't be made a party. Exactly the same analysis as here?
7: I, I think that's probably correct. The, the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act governs the service of process under under the Act. I and, understand. And if
2: the, my if, hypothetical case, it's just as if, if somebody's at the North Pole and you can't serve.
7: Right. But, it, but, it, but if the sovereign if, — if the foreign sovereign can't be sued, I think it's all the more — I mean, can't even be reached, it may be all the more reason why that interest should be given weight. We think the sovereign interest in this case is particularly compelling for reasons that have already been stated. The Government of the Philippines claims that that it owns these assets. By contrast, the respondents are unsecured judgment creditors. The the Government of the Philippines claims it owns these these assets under a special Philippine statute dating to 1955 that declares ill-gotten gains gained during time in office forfeit to the Government, and it has a strong interest in having that that dispute resolved in its own courts. As we explained in our brief, the United States strongly supports that position, and that interest of the United States is strongly supported by the fact that it is a party to a, a mutual legal assistance treaty with the Philippines. Such treaties are common uh, in this country. There is a comparable treaty between the Philippines and the Swiss government, which led to the repatriation from Switzerland to uh, the Philippines why, of a — in-
0: MR. Mr. getting back to your previous point, why isn't the Philippine National — why don't — why doesn't the Philippine National Bank adequately represent the interests of the Republic? Under Philippine laws, I understand any recovery by the bank in this case would be the property of the Philippines.
7: Because the, the Philippines uh, — excuse me, the, the Philippine National Bank is an escrow agent. It would have a conflict of interest in representing the interests of the, uh, of the government of the Philippines with respect to its prior claim to the assets as against the Marcos estate. PNB is holding these assets in escrow pending the outcome of the very litigation we were talking about. Well, they're certainly,
0: the sub, certainly subject to Philippine law, and I understand it's, uh, there's no dispute that under Philippine law, the assets would be taken from the Philippine National Bank for the benefit of the government.
7: That's true, but the interest of the Philippine government in obtaining, in, in having its interests confirmed that it owns these assets as of the time of the wrongdoing going back to 1972, that interest would not be advanced by, by PNB because PNB is holding them in escrow depending. Uh, pending the outcome of that very dispute between the Marcoses and the, and the Philippines government, and couldn't be expected to advance in this case, the, the government of the Philippines' interest or, or claim of ownership. Uh, to those assets. Uh, uh, one, other con- one other international agreement I wanted to mention was the Convention Against uh, Corruption to which the United States is a party. And also there is a statute passed by Congress 2467 that provides for uh, forfeiture in the United States of assets that are deemed to be forfeited uh, pursuant to a foreign proceeding. So interna- international
3: agreements — in 20- doesn't that depend on there being a foreign — judgment which we don't have in this case we 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 don't have it yet but that that reflects the important uh interest of
7: having our courts stay their hands pending the outcome of the proceedings uh, in the philippines in which that would be determined
3: isn't it also a requirement that in that proceeding in the foreign nation that all claimants would have a an opportunity to be be heard which is not true here
7: well what what the statute requires uh uh is that the foreign proceedings be in accordance with due process and that uh parties claiming an, an interest in the property be entitled to be present again the, the claimants here do not claim an interest in the property uh, as an owner they are unsecured judgment creditors of the uh, of the marcos uh, estate and it, it, it might be useful to think about what it, what is true in the reverse situation in the forfeiture proceeding brought in by the United States in U.S. courts, uh, against a criminal defendant, for example, an unsecured creditor of the, of the defendant claiming the assets, uh, is typically found not even to have standing to intervene. But if it does intervene, it would not have a claim superior to that of the United States because it wouldn't be a bona fide purchaser of the assets, and it wouldn't be without knowledge of the illegal
6: contract. MR. Mr. may I ask you this question? Would would the case be different if they were secured creditors rather than judgment creditors?
7: in, 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 U.S., in U.S. courts, a secured creditor would get past the standing, uh, stage, but would not, would not get past the bona fide purchaser for value w- without knowledge of the, of the wrongdoing. In this case, it has been clear since 1986, for example, that the government of the Philippines has, has been seeking the repatriation of Arelma and its, and its assets.
5: Well, it's been doing it on a, on a fairly sporadic basis. As I, if I remember the facts correctly, first it got a, stay with respect to the disposition of assets and then the stay expired and the government didn't do anything about it and then the government didn't come into action again until this particular claim was raised
7: well i I, I think maybe let me
5: put the sort of my response in the in the form of a of a, a question in in drawing or refusing to draw the conclusion of indispensable party do you claim that uh, a court may or may not
7: consider uh, the equitable or inequitable behavior of the government? Well, I. Um perhaps in an extreme case, but, I, but I, first of all, I think, I think the courts of the United States should be very reluctant to deem a foreign government's conduct uh, inequitable in the sense that you're describing it. And I think, uh, for the reasons Mr. Rothfeld said, repatriating these assets is an extremely complicated thing. But the, the Philippines government sought these assets, in beginning in 1986, obtained a freeze order. Uh, it, in 1986, again in 1990. It got a final determination by the district attorney in Switzerland in 1995, confirmed by the Federal Court of Switzerland, of, of Switzerland in uh, 1997 that the assets could be returned. These assets, the, the share, the aroma shares, however, were not actually returned until 2000 by the Swiss government.
3: Is there any explanation why the freeze that was imposed by a U.S. Court in 1987 we're simply allowed to lap. That was a preliminary injunction, and I'm not—I'm I'm not sure what happened after that. But
7: I, I did want the, the the proceedings in Switzerland. I did—I did want to make clear because there was a suggestion that the Philippines uh, government was duplicitous by encouraging this suit and at the same time seeking the assets. But as I just pointed out, it has been clear since 1986 and through a whole series of proceedings in Switzerland and in the Philippines that the. Government of the Philippines has been claiming all of the Marcos assets, specifically including the Aurelma assets, well, maybe from they the have very been, beginning.
5: Maybe they have been candid about their claims, but the, in, in the real-world real practical terms, the, 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 the claim to these assets and the representation at the same time that it's appropriate for these people to proceed in the United States for a money judgment are at least in some tension with each other, aren't they?
7: I I do not believe so. If we thought about an analogy in the United States, if the United States filed a brief in this Court saying that that a former government official could be sued, did not have qualified immunity, and could be sued in his personal capacity, or didn't, or could be sued individually and the Westfall Act did not protect him. That would in no way make, uh, rep- be a representation by the United States that a judgment against that officer could be satisfied out of assets of the United States, including assets that the United States might be seeking to recover from, uh, from the, from the defendant. And we think the Philippines government is in essentially, uh, the same position. And a finding of liability in this case, the, the judgment does, Constitute a finding of liability so that, with respect to it, get, it would give these respondents here the ability to go to Philippine court to file a claim in the probate proceedings in the Philippines, as these respondents have done. Uh, so the, the judgment, even without being satisfied, uh, does, uh, serves the respondents' interest to a great extent.
0: Thank you, Mr. Needler. Mr. Swift?
8: <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, uh, I would like to address, uh, as the first point, the issue you raise, which is perhaps seminal to you, and that is whether there is an adequate alternative remedy to the human rights victims, either in the United States or in the Philippines. Our answer is unequivocally, there is no remedy. Let me talk about the Philippines first. Any forfeiture proceeding in the Philippines is in rem, as the Supreme Court has so declared. These assets are in the United States. There cannot be two jurisdictions that share in RAM assets. Well, doesn't
5: the, the — maybe this makes no difference, but doesn't the Philippine National Bank have the whatever they call them, the share certificates or stock certificates that represent the, the Aurelmer assets? At this that's point.
8: right. Switzerland confiscated those certificates from a Swiss financier and transferred them to okay. the Philippines. Couldn't
5: they, couldn't they bring an in-rem action uh, in the Philippines based on the presence in the Philippines of those two certificates?
8: They can, and, the, and that's, in fact, what is occurring. Okay. However, it's also apparent from the facts in this case that those certificates were never the property of the Philippine government. Never, ever. There's absolute, clear uh, evidence in this record, in the uh, joint appendix, on that, um, which makes the whole issue.
6: Pro- well, I thought the issue in the Philippines is the question of whether the money that went into the stock certificates eventually belonged to the people of the Philippines from the beginning, or belonged to Marcos personally.
8: Well, that's. A Are start- you
6: saying that there's no possibility whatsoever? that a Philippine court could say that this money initially belonged to the people of the Philippines?
8: They could not say that in a forfeiture proceeding because it doesn't —
6: I'm saying whether they could say it. I don't care what the name of the proceeding is. I'm saying could they decide that?
8: uh, Absolutely. All right.
6: Now, if they decide that, why should your clients, terribly treated as they were, get the money ahead of the victims in the Philippines who also were terribly treated,
8: Because the judgment in the Philippines would not be in rem, uh, Mr. Justice Breyer.
6: I thought Justice Souter just answered that. He said that the stock certificates might be held to belong to the people of the Philippines, in which case the stock certificates represent stock in a company that has a claim against Merrill Lynch. And so they will say this certificate belongs to the people of the Philippines. The people of the Philippines would like you, Merrill Lynch, to pay back money that the company gave them initially. And Merrill Lynch, I imagine, would pay it. That, that I think, is, 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 as I understand it, now is there something wrong with my understanding?
8: I think your understanding is correct in that regard. However, the law, both in the Philippines and in the United States, draws a clear distinction between the ownership of stock and uh, a corporation's ownership of assets. Certainly, Dole v. Patrickson stands for that proposition. Um, uh, a judgment rendered as to the certificates in the Philippines uh, or even as to the assets would not be in REM. So if that judgment came over to the United States to be enforced, they would stand in the same position as any other judgment creditor, not a judgment creditor with a claim to specific assets, but a judgment creditor as to a specific amount of money. Let me answer another question.
3: I would like you uh, to address the, uh, you seem to put heavy weight on the in-rem characterization. That is, the judgment There's a thing. But the, our law, over the years, has come to appreciate that things do not have rights. People have rights in things. So we have modified the once rigid notion that the suit is against the thing. Uh, to recognize that it's people's rights in the thing that counts. And your use of that label seems to uh, forget about all the more recent understanding. Uh,
8: Justice Ginsburg, I believe interpleader is, statutory interpleader is, an in-rem nature of a proceeding. In fact, it was the best and most appropriate and the only proceeding in which all claimants could be, uh, uh, their claims could be heard. It's a shame that the Philippine government didn't come in, as it did in 12 other cases it brought in the United States, including two interpleaders, to say, yeah, and this is our evidence. What it suggests is that they had no evidence to support it, and they want to be in their own court. Why do they want to be in their own court? Because it won't be defended by the Marcoses. And the very rule that they cited in their reply brief, and by the way, the reply brief was the first time in all this litigation they have ever asserted that the human rights victims have a remedy by intervening in the Sandiganbayan Bayan in the Philippines. We don't. It's the, the rule that they quote says as to assets in the court.
3: Yes, did, the, did the district court in Hawaii or the Ninth Circuit ever decide — what the petitioners tell us is the basic question, that is, do these assets belong to the Philippine government under that 1955 statute, or do they belong to the Marcos estate? It seemed to me that our courts were just assuming that the assets belong to the Marcos estate and that the plaintiffs in the lawsuit were (coughs) creditors of the Marcos estate.
8: Your Honor is correct that there was an underlying uh, belief by the Court, that the Court accepted as valid the Republic's claim that it owned the assets, the assets were stolen. But the evidence in the case, and the two lower courts specifically found on the basis of that evidence, that these were Marcos' assets. And this finding was made after the completion of Discovery, after a deposition in, in uh But France. it
3: didn't say find that. And they belonged to the Marcos estate and not the Philippine government.
8: N- not the latter part of the, your equation. The, they did not say they did not belong to the Philippine government, but by saying they belonged to Ferdinand Marcos was sufficient. There was sufficient evidence.
6: I didn't see that finding in the, in the Court of Appeals decision. I thought the Court of Appeals thought that they belonged to — they couldn't possibly belong to the Philippine government. Or the people there, because there is no way that the Philippine government could win in a suit in New York in trying to recover them, but the Solicitor General has provided about two or three ways in which, and so, is, so, so have the petitioners, uh, the, and that seems to me the heart of the issue. they 've said, no, no, there are two or three ways in which the Philippine government might well uh, deter- it might well ask a court for the money? And the Court would say, yes, you're entitled to it. So that, it seems to me, since that's the heart of this, what is your response to that?
8: i I'd like to go through each way in which they say they can and, they, and convince you that they can't. First, they could proceed in a forfeiture proceeding in the Philippines. But of course, that wouldn't be in rem, so they couldn't get to first base as to the assets. As to the share certificates, yes. But of course, that, in effect, is a nullity because they never belonged to the Philippine government. That aside, we put aside that factual.
5: Wait a um, I'm, I'm, I missed your last step. If it's an in rem proceeding against the share certificates, what, what difference does it make whether they ever belong to the Philippine government?
8: Because ownership of the share certificates is, is not a right to the assets, a per se right. There would have to be some additional rights. The, a, the assets are one. So you're,
5: the, you're saying an in rem proceeding against the certificate simply will not resolve the issue. That's the, that's the guts of, of the answer. That's,
8: oh. that's correct. The other two, uh, two types of proceedings, one could be a conversion and one breach of contract, both of which would be barred by statutory statute of limitations.
6: No, well, that, that isn't what they say. I think, if I understand it, that they say that were the share certificates in the hands of the Philippine government on the ground that the money used to create those had been taken from the Philippine people unlawfully, if that's what they decide, At that point, the owner of the certificates, the government, would say to Merrill Lynch, we own the company. The company has the assets. Please send us the money. And Merrill Lynch would do it. But if Merrill Lynch didn't do it, then they would file the judgment saying these are our share certificates in a New York court and say, will you please enforce the judgment? Now, there's something there that I'm not quite getting, and that's why I want you to respond to the line of happenings that I just suggested.
8: Well, an important fact that you left out was that in the year 2000, when the Philippine government, through PNB, controlled the Aralma certificates, A request to Merrill Lynch was made. The request was refused. So if there was a breach, it occurred in the year 2000. Remember after the certificates were transferred from Switzerland to the Philippines. The uh, PND then created a new board of directors and they went directly to Merrill Lynch. The whole point of this exercise was, of course, to circumvent the courts of the United States. I only learned about the assets in the year 2000 and then proceeded to try to recover them. But but may may I ask you this question, though? Uh, Merrill Lynch
5: refused in, in the year 2000. But if the proceeding that Justice Breyer has just been describing takes place, and there is a judgment to the effect that the share certificates are properly held or the property of the Philippine government, and the Philippine government now makes a new, or then makes a new request to Merrill Lynch. The fact that they made a request that was refused in 2000, which may be too late to sue on, isn't going to prevent them from suing on their their present adjudication that they are the true owners of the
8: share certificates and want the money. But I believe there's an important part of the equation that's left out of that question, and that is the rights of the Philippine government as the new shareholder will not be any greater than those of the prior shareholder. The prior shareholder made a demand and, and did not receive the money.
5: Okay. You're, you're saying, I, I think you're saying, that the demand would be ineffectual this time for the same reason it was ineffectual the last time. Yes, Your Honor. And the the suggestion I thought that Justice Breyer had made and that I made was This time, they can do something further. They can take the judgment and go into a United States court and say, we've got this judgment. There's no question that these shares and what they represent are ours. So make Merrill Lynch give us the money.
8: What prevents them from doing that? Nothing prevents them from making the demand, but when they go into court and ask for that, first of all, Merrill Lynch can do what it did here, which is to file an interpleader and say, we want all the claimants to come forth and make the claim. Then we have a redo. What we have below is a judgment, a judgment that we're seeking to enforce, and, and we contend that Well, the, the difference in
2: the redo is that in the, in the, in the second case that's just been hypothesized, the Philippines government is represented. We're — uh, making these assumptions, and the Philippine's government says you can make these assumptions, but they may very well be wrong. We want to be represented before you make those assumptions.
8: Well, they had that right in uh, the year 2000 when they chose to exercise their sovereign immunity. So what has changed? They would have to waive their sovereign immunity to well, go into But d- any,
2: any party that's beyond the process of the court uh, has a right to come in. The question is what happens if they're not there?
8: Well, they were brought in. They chose to exit they then paid for the um, uh, prosecution of claims by PNB and Aurelma, in effect acting as surrogates, reflective of a question that was asked earlier. Uh, then when they're dissatisfied with the result, they then want to uh, use PNB and ARELMA to upset that pursuant to a Rule 19b motion.
6: There's a huge change. The change would be that they'd have a judgment of that special court over there that these this company and the assets, uh, understandably, belong to us, not to the Marcoses. And so this time, they go with that judgment to Merrill Lynch and say, "Give us the money." And uh, if they don't, if they don't, if Merrill Lynch says no, nope, your Merrill Lynch might say yes, but you'll say no, it belongs to us, so they might not. And if they don't, then the Philippines never going to get the money unless they bring the lawsuit. Well, Once they bring the lawsuit, then you have it. because then you go right into the uh, uh, court in that lawsuit and intervene, and they've waived all their sovereign immunity, et cetera. They can't get the money.
8: Then you have a redo of what they started out this person doing, difference? which was judge shopping and forum shopping. They were, they were not. But isn't
3: that what a so- that's what sovereign immunity means. I mean, they do have the right to pick their forum. I, you say, I can only be sued when I consent so i can consent where i will the the problem with what you're presenting is it sounds like yes you have sovereign immunity you don't have to be part of this lawsuit and it can't affect your rights but then it seems that the eventual judgment is a default judgment effectively against the philippines because they can never get those assets once they're dispersed so it's a it's, it's a kind of a, a deceptive immunity, because by asserting the immunity, they are going to lose their opportunity to claim these assets.
8: Well, what Your Honor is suggesting is that there should be a per se rule under Rule 19b, uh, I don't believe it's the uh, role of this court to change Rule 19b. Not necessarily.
3: I'm focusing on this situation. There could be others.
8: Well, then we've had two lower courts that have balanced and weighed all appropriate factors. There's no suggestion that there are other factors. They've. Uh, uh, I believe that the uh, standard of review for this court is whether or not uh, the lower courts. Uh, considered the factors, and engaged in an appropriate balancing and weighing. In, und-
2: in making that balancing, what weight did they give to the sovereign immunity of the Philippines?
8: Significant weight. Uh, uh, the Ninth Circuit said uh, it was a powerful factor, and then it went into other factors, some of which uh, Justice Ginsburg mentioned, the 22-year delay. They've known about this for a long
3: time. I thought that the, the, the Ninth Circuit went on. Uh, statute of limitations in New York. It didn't give the sovereign immunity claim, it seems, in the end of the day anyway, because it says we don't have to worry about the Philippines being out of this case because they would have no uh, claim on merit. Let
8: me pose a different example to you, uh, Justice Ginsburg, and that is, what if this were a bankruptcy proceeding and the foreign sovereign said, oh, those assets really belong to us, they were stolen, and we'll decide that in our country. Now, it could be any country of the world. Would the U.S. courts stand for that? Are, are U.S. courts supposed to give away and surrender and be ousted of their own jurisdiction in rem actions so and farm out decisions to foreign countries And in our case, we're not even going to be represented, nor will the Marcoses. There might be a
0: different situation in your hypothetical with respect to bankruptcy, and is that there's an administrator uh, against whom the Philippines could proceed, unlike a situation here where you have a class which the prospect of the Philippines proceeding later is not realistic.
8: Well, I, I submit that the underlying principle is a solid one, and that is U.S. courts do have in-rem jurisdiction. We have 28 U.S.C. 1655. It's one of the oldest forms of jurisdiction we have in this country, and we should not be surrendering that to a foreign sovereign and farming out for decision decisions about assets. These assets are not transitory. They've been here 35 years. Yes, but may
6: I ask this sort of, maybe it's too elementary a question, but has any Court ever decided the merits of the question of what, whether the Marcus estate or the Philippine government owns these assets?
8: The lower Court, well, not as... Re- it, it decided there
6: was no remedy, I understand that. No. But has it decided the merits of the basic dispute?
7: It,
8: it has, based on evidence, based on depositions. belong the that? To Marcus. Then
3: why were they bothering with the statute of limitations? Both Courts said that the action would be time barred in New York but if they made a definitive ruling that the assets belonged to the Marcos estate and not the Philippine government then that would be preclusive i, I, I are you saying that i, I just uh, did not find in in either the, the di- district court or the court of appeals an answer to that basic question whose assets are there it seemed to me they were assuming the assets belonged to the estate and not to the Philippine government but they made no specific finding on that issue
8: there are a number of findings but obviously because the Philippine government was not a party in the case there was no finding specific to the Philippine government but the finding that they were belonged to Ferdinand Marcos is sufficient. You do not need the counterfinding that they did not belong to the Republic.
3: But then you are ignoring a 1955 law that says anything that belongs to Marcos that he didn't get legitimately belongs to the government.
8: Well, again, that's a forfeiture issue. The assets have to be in the Philippines. And there have been many forfeiture proceedings in the Philippines as to Marcos' assets. To answer a question Justice Kennedy raised earlier, aren't there other assets? They've already recovered over a billion dollars of assets. There's still pro- hundreds of millions, if not a billion, in the Philippines. You know from the record and what I've submitted that we're not able to transfer our American judgment to the Philippines. The United Nations Human Rights Committee has even found a violation of international law by the Republic in preventing us from doing that. We've had to go to that body. Do, do we think that we're going to get justice in a Philippine court that's never adjudicated human rights violations, much less our right to, to assets? Think how easy it would be for the Marcoses and the Philippine government to simply make a deal as to these assets.
0: Aren't those issues that could be addressed when the Philippines attempt to enforce a judgment they would get in the Philippines if they do, in fact, get such a judgment?
8: Well, then we run into such issues like the act of state doctrine, and uh, uh, we have uh, then we will uh, uh, our defense will be undermined because they will say U- uh, U.S. court cannot re-examine those that determination. So it's a catch-22 for us. We proceeded as we were
6: entitled. You have, a, I mean, I don't see you have a claim there, as opposed to the Philippi- If the worst that would happen, not necessarily good for your clients, but the worst that would happen would be that the assets would be devoted to victims and their families in the Philippines. I mean, namely to the Philippine people. So I don't see some kind of fundamental unfairness here
8: unless you can point one out.
6: I mean, well, they'll I, treat you like another creditor, and you have a tremendous, but
8: is there some terrible unfairness? Well, what, you, what Your Honor is suggesting is that a, a useful approach to this case is to say, well, if the Philippine government gets the money, then won't that benefit everybody? Well, then you have to look at the characteristic of the country, something I'm very familiar with, but which I don't want to, I think it would be inappropriate in this proceeding to, to talk about.
6: Is there, is there something special going on? especially unfair in respect to the delays where you are treated differently than other litigants in the Philippines?
8: Yes. There was purposeful delay in uh, us being able to transfer our judgment. We are uh, just in the pleading stage after 11 years there. What what
4: does unfairness have to do with it? I mean, the, the whole doctrine of sovereign immunity rests upon unfairness. It says you can't sue the sovereign, even if you have a valid claim. And when we say we, we will apply the same doctrine as to foreign sovereigns, it means the same thing. I, I'm, I'm just not terribly persuaded by the fact that it, uh, it has unfair consequences. The doctrine of sovereign immunity always has unfair consequences. So unless you're asking us to abandon the doctrine, uh, the, the, the fairness argument does not persuade me.
8: Uh, well, I think the issue was resolved pursuant to 19b. Unless this Court determines that, that there is a per se rule under 19b, we weigh factors. And it's the role of this Court to determine whether or not there was, uh, the lower courts did not make a decision based on equity and good conscience, one of the broadest uh, parameters of decision making uh, provided by a lower Court.
5: May, may I go back on, on exactly that point on the, on the equity to Uh, Justice Breyer's last question, I thought you had given in or anticipated his question in something you said a moment ago and then you didn't repeat it, and I may have misunderstood you. I thought you you had had told us uh, that the courts of the Philippines uh, did not recognize for enforcement purposes there the judgment that your clients had obtained in the United States and that, in effect, they therefore, if they were going to make a claim on, on assets uh, in the Philippines, they, they would have to sort of start from scratch again. Is, is that correct? Did I misunderstand you?
8: Well, our judgment has not been enforced. They asked, initially asked for a filing fee of $8.4 million. Uh-huh. We appealed that after eight years and some months. They finally said, yes, the filing fee is $10. It was sent back down where there's still more delay. I mean, I'm a realist. I mean, how many years is it going to so take? So they this? just,
5: they in fact are, are obstructing the, the process. That's right. And the, the,
8: human, the United Nations Human Rights Committee is so found.
5: Let me ask you this Does, Did the Philippine government formally take a position uh, in, in raising these obstructive barriers, the, the $8 million filing fee, for example? It did not. Okay. That, that was suesponte with the court?
8: It was uh, sua with the question actually raised by the Marcoses initially, and the court simply said, "Yes, it's 8.4 million dollars."
3: Isn't that? Uh, I mean, it sounds shocking, but I thought that uh, in the Philippines, as in many countries, the filing fee is determined by what you're asking for. So it would be a percentage, a percentage of two billion dollars, uh, and it, the, if, if they just did that automatically. And you say, "Oh, but, but this is that this a filing fee of that size would mean that the plaintiffs can't sue." We, but that's, but that it, it wasn't that they picked the whatever the figure filing fee out of the hat. It was a percentage of what was sought in the litigation, right?
8: That's you're correct in your analysis. The except that there was another uh, uh, provision of the fee statute which we went under, and sure. which the ultimately the. Philippine Supreme Court said that we were correct.
0: Counsel, um, before you sit down, you haven't mentioned anything about your argument that the Philippines don't have the right to raise this. Are you throwing in the towel on that one?
8: Absolutely not. Uh, we think that argument is definitive. First, on one hand, with regard to uh, uh, the Philippine government and uh, its PCGG. They were not parties to the judgment, therefore, under Karcher, Marino, Devlin.
0: Well, the Philippines National Bank and Aurelma were, and, of course, they've appealed, and I understood the law to be they can raise these arguments. That, uh, we don't need to have an independent basis for the Philippines.
8: That's true, but we've also pointed out that uh, uh, Aurelma and PNB have now thrown in the towel as to uh, the merits. Remember, their parties, their separate parties, they had claims on the merits. Their claims were resolved against them inter se, and so they no longer have a dog in the fight.
3: Yes, they do because if they are able to successfully knock out the uh, judgment, um, then they're back to square one. Then they 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 lost on the merits, but that judgment would be wiped out. Well.
8: Perhaps, under Rule 19b, the lower court may still uh, uh, rule that there is a, a, uh, uh, a definitive judgment as to them against other creditors. Uh, and, in fact, that there has been.
3: If there was n- n- no authority of the court to proceed, then the, the, the judgment is, is as though it were never made.
8: Well... That's perhaps one way of looking at it, Justice Ginsburg. I I submit to you that the the decision uh, I would uh, respectfully request you to look at is Horizon Bank and Trust Company versus Massachusetts, where the same facts occurred. The First Circuit, Massachusetts did the same thing the Republic of the Philippines did here. It did the two-step dance. We're sovereign. We're indispensable. Uh, It was denied by the lower court. The lower court then, uh, since the United States was a party, And the State didn't have immunity as to that. It went into the merits determination. Massachusetts appealed only the 19 b decision. And the Court of Appeals held that because they had not appealed the merits decision, same as here, therefore uh, there was no longer a live controversy. And live controversy is a requirement of standing in this Court or power to appeal in this Court. so I, uh, in addition, uh, although there isn't a lot of case law in this Court on this particular point, uh, I would uh, refer you to the uh, Ashcroft mattis decision because the same principle was applied there where uh, uh, there was no uh, appeal permitted to this Court. Finally, the one thing that I have not uh, really addressed is Merrill Lynch's interest, The whole nature of Interpleader is that the stakeholder should have an adequate remedy. Merle Lynch has significant business interests, uh, as do many banks, many insurance companies, in getting a resolution. This matter in itself has gone on for eight years. There have been over a dozen appeals in this particular piece of litigation. Doesn't — isn't there a significant business interest that has to be weighed in that uh, equation? Uh, so that Merrill Lynch, only a stakeholder, will continue to have to defend, 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 interplead and so forth. Um, I, I s- submit to you that there is a policy judgment that has to be made by this Court as to the rules with regard to interpleader and in-rem proceedings and whether this Court is prepared to surrender jurisdiction to foreign courts to make If,
3: if — uh- The proceeding can't go forward because of sovereign immunity. That judgment would shield Merrill Lynch from any other claim. It could say to any other claimant, sorry, a binding judgment has been issued saying this matter can't be settled without the Philippines being in it. So I don't really get your Merrill Lynch is going to be subject to repeated proceedings. They, w- they will be armed with a judgment that says suit can't go on without the Philippines being. Well, said.
8: let me let me take you on, on on that point. We have one other remedy, and that is execution. Execution doesn't require joinder of all parties. It's a, a, a singular proceeding that people can join in, but we would have the right to execute, and you can bet that that is exactly what we will do. So to some extent, what is being argued here is, is somewhat beside the point, because if the money goes back to Merrill Lynch, we can and will execute on that.
0: Thank you, yeah. Counsel. Uh, Mr. Rothfeld, you have three minutes remaining.
1: Uh, Thank you, Your Honor. A a couple of points. First of all, there is no doubt that the Republic has a substantial interest in the assets that are at stake here, and therefore its sovereign immunity, at least in the context of this case, should be dispositive and should have led to dismissal under Rule 19. Um, There... This Court, in, in the Providence case, noted that there are certain compelling substantive considerations that are dispositive under Rule 19 that make it unnecessary to consider any other ba- balancing consideration. Sovereign immunity is one such consideration. Uh, and because the Republic has immunity, has asserted Do
2: it you agree that the Ninth Circuit gave sovereign immunity great weight in the balancing? I,
1: I think it gave it no weight at all. I think it, it said that, yes, in theory, sovereign immunity is entitled to weight, but in this case, we're going to ignore it completely because we believe that if the Republic appears in New York and asserts its interest, it will lose under statutory limitations grounds. I think that's a completely inappropriate way of treating it. Once the sovereign immunity was asserted and there was a substantial interest in the asset here, as there undoubtedly was, that should have been the end of the matter second point is there is no question that ultimately this is a dispute between the marcos estate and the republic there is no question that the claims of the uh, respondents here are entirely derivative of the marcos estate and therefore that is something that has to be decided first whether this belongs to the estate this property or to the republic that is a determination that should be made in the courts of the philippines it's not a question of surrendering the jurisdiction of u.s courts there is a general consensus that stolen assets, assets stolen by corrupt leaders, should be returned to the nation of origin and Determination as to ownership should be made by the courts of that nation. That's stated in the U.N. Convention on Corruption, to which the U.S. and the Philippines are a party. All the nations that have an interest in the Arama assets, not only the Republic, but the United States and Switzerland, all agree that is it is appropriate for the Sandiganbayan mine to make that determination, as between the Republic and the estate. If it's ruled for the estate, respondent can attempt to collect as a judgment creditor. If it goes to the Republic, the Republic can assert its interest directly with Merrill Lynch as the owner of Erelma. If Merrill Lynch declines to pay, it can, in a number of ways, try to enforce its judgment, either with the assistance of the United States, according to uh, U.S. statute, in which case the Sandigan Binds factual determinations would be dispositive, or it could bring an action in the under, under New York law. That is the only way in which there could be a single proceeding that resolves everybody's interests. In this proceeding, as all agree, the Republic is free for whatever it's actually worth to sue Merrill Lynch. That is precisely what Rule 19 is designed to avoid, duplicative litigation, the possibility of duplicative liability. If the Sandiganbayan rules, the Republic comes here, initiates an action, everybody who has a claim can be brought into that action. As Justice Ginsburg noted, there is no possibility that Merrill Lynch could be subjected to duplicative liability because this Court's judgment would determine that the Republic is an indispensable party.
5: Thank you, Mr.
0: Rothfeld. Uh, The case is submitted, uh, but counsel are not excused. Uh, Mr. Needler, if you could return to the lectern for a moment. Mr. Needler, our records reflect that you have now presented oral argument before this Court in 100 cases, beginning with your first argument in October 1979. You are the first to reach this rare milestone this century. On behalf of the Court, I extend to you our appreciation for the many years of advocacy and service to the Court during your tenure in the Office of the Solicitor General. We look forward to hearing from you many more times in the future. Thank you.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. It's been a great honor.
5: Now counsel are excused.